Across many spiritual traditions, we learn that divinity is in the heart. I believe that within us, within each one of us, lies a perfectly unique ray of divine light. Our job is to get out of our heads and into our hearts in order to live with courage from a place of truth, service, and connection to all of life. This show is about building a life and business that you'll love with your whole self. It has been said that words spoken from the heart enter the heart. And as such, this show is about real journeys, challenges, and lessons of real people whose stories and advice can guide you on your journey, our journey. Welcome to the show. Before we get started with our guest, I want to ask you a quick question. Are you a female entrepreneur looking to grow your purpose-based business? Could you benefit from support, inspiration, and accountability on your business building journey? I invite you to apply to my masterminding community. We are building real relationships in a space of trust. It is a breath of freedom. And I think you could really bring a lot and benefit a lot from the group. We are all about putting our minds and our hearts together to build the businesses and the lives that this world needs most. Hop on over to drozzy.co backslash rise mastermind. That's R-I-S-E mastermind and fill out an application today. You can also click the link in the show notes and I really look forward to reading your application and connecting with you personally. I am here with Ayala Polonsky and it's such a joy to connect with you and to have you here. I have been following your journey. I remember I first learned about you a few years ago and your story is so fascinating and your work is so important. So I want to hear about all of it and welcome. Thank you, Ozzy. It still blows my mind that we only officially connected and found this like sister connection a few weeks ago because you know, like this is clearly a past life thing if I can go there. <laughs> All right. I'm with you. I am with you. We can start with past lives. Why not? So good. So yeah, like you are here in Jerusalem. We're neighbors and you have lived in India and you have lived all over the world. So how about if we start with your story and your journey to finding meditation and spirituality and all of the incredible tools that you've been discovering over the years? Yeah, absolutely. So my story goes back to age 20. Well, my story goes back to age womb, but you know, my spiritual awakening happened when I was 20 years old and I had woken up, went onto Facebook, right? And I'm scrolling through Facebook. And I see post after post saying, rest in peace, Dawn. We love you, Dawn. You will always be remembered, Dawn. And in my head, I'm thinking, who's Dawn? Right? And as I keep scrolling, a picture pops up of my childhood friend, Dawn. And my heart dropped to my stomach. And I remember just, you know, she was 19 years old. She had her whole life ahead of her. She had just landed her dream job you know, like a week before. And I found out that she was peer pressured to get on the back of a motorcycle and that the guy who was riding the bike was trying to show off crossing the George Washington Bridge, slipped on some oil, and she went blank. And I remember hearing this news and I'd never experienced grief, real grief prior to that, let alone grief of someone who was my age. Prior to age 20, I lived every day as though I was going to live forever. I thought I was invincible, right? And the things that were most important to me were materialism, parties, boys, you name it. And so when I woke up and heard that news that morning, I remember this voice and I remember it as if it was yesterday. And the voice said, Ayele, you've been alive for 20 years, but you have not yet begun to live. And I made an unconscious promise to myself in that moment. I now know, you know, that I made that promise to myself in that moment that I was determined to start my journey. Wow. And so that experience 
took me to Barnes and Nobles. I went straight to the self-help section. And, you know, as God does when he wants to send you some sort of sign, a book falls off the shelf and onto the floor, like actually. And the book, that's the first story in my book about books falling off shelves. But anyway, yeah, it happens. Books fall off shelves. So you're in Barnes and Nobles. The book falls off the shelf. And this book falls off the shelf and it's titled in big letters, Buddha. So I take it home, I read it, and I start to become familiar with what it means to have a soul, right? And these are all new concepts to me, you know, selflessness, giving, universal love, compassion, yoga, meditation, Mm. right? And so that really shifted something for me and it brought me back to Barnes and Nobles and I bought every single book from the self-help section, pretty much a lot of them. And I read one book after another, after another. And finally, after two years of filling my brain with intellectual wisdom, I said, I've reached a glass ceiling. I'm ready for the experience. And so I sold, you know, $10,000 worth of designer purses and clothes and everything. Got on. This is so good. As much as we love purses, sold the purses. You got on a plane got on the plane and I found myself at an ashram in India. And it was in India that introduced me to what it means to actually close my eyes and go in, right? I made a U-turn, a Y-O-U turn into myself, into my soul. I came face to face with some of my deepest pains, my deepest hurts, my traumas, right? And it woke me up to this world of healing and transformation. And then fast forward, I mean, I ended up staying in India. I was in and out of India for six years. And so towards the end of my six years there, I ended up at the largest festival of consciousness on the planet called Kumbh Mela. It's like Burning Man on steroids. And it's 50 million, five zero million Hindus and me. There are 50 million people that congregate in one place? Yeah, it's like to Hindus, Kumbh Mela is like Mecca right? It's like a trek. It's such a huge million people is one seventh, one sixth, the size of the United population of the United States. That's so many people. It was a lot. It was huge. It was huge. And we were in the meditation hall. We were 10,000 people in my camp, right? In the meditation tent. And we had a break for 30 minutes. So I went and cuddled up on my backpack and took a nap. And it was in the middle of my nap that I started hearing this loud banging noise. And the noise kept getting louder and louder that finally I opened my eyes and I'm like, okay, you're dreaming. Go back to sleep, go back to sleep. And the noise just got louder. So I opened my eyes again. And that's when I realized, okay, Ayala, you're not in Kansas anymore. Like you're in the middle of a tornado actually in real life. It was like, as though the tent had a pulse, had a heartbeat, and it kept getting more intense and more intense. And all of a sudden the walls of the tent began to rip. And I said to myself, if I don't escape from under this massive structure, it's going to collapse and we're done for. And so all of a sudden you see 10,000 people enter into chaos and 10,000 people make their way to two tiny little doors. So you can imagine the traffic jam. Okay. So I said to myself, I'm not taking the chance of waiting in line to get out. I slid, I found a little dip in the side of the tent. I slid, the water's rising, there's mud everywhere. It's windy. I slid under the tent. I'm in mud from head to toe. And I find myself outside and it was like a scene out of the Wizard of Oz. Like things are flying. And so the only stable structure that I saw was this massive transportation truck. I slid under it. It was my only hope of safety. And I'm just in prayer. I didn't have Hashem consciousness at the time. I called it universe or God or whatever, right? And so I'm under the truck and I have my eyes closed and I'm just praying. And I'm just like, I can't die. I can't die. I can't die. And out of nowhere, I hear this voice on the right side of my ear. And I look over and there's this elderly woman with piercing blue eyes. And she says to me, at least if we die here, we die with our guru. And that's when it hit me. I said, something's got to give. I am not ready to die. Not with my guru, you know, and not at all. And so I closed my eyes again. And I said, God, if you're out there, I need a miracle. I need a miracle. I need a miracle three times. Fast forward one year. I'm still in India. I'm by the pool. I'm in meditation. I'm doing my visualization exercises. And this voice keeps trying to interrupt my meditation. So 
So after enough attempts of me trying to push it away, I finally said, okay, it's not going anywhere. This voice, I brought it into my realm of awareness. And I said, what are you trying to tell me? And the voice said, loud as day, leave this country now and go to Israel. Don't waste another minute. Within 30 minutes, I had my flight booked. I was on a plane the next day with two suitcases and I've been in Israel ever since. Okay. So essentially you grew up culturally Jewish. In our community, we have members of all different backgrounds and beliefs. And it's a really diverse place, very respectful place. And just to give everyone a little bit of context of like your particular journey, you grew up culturally Jewish, correct? Correct. And then your first step after that book fell on your head, it was called Buddha, was learning about meditation. And that led you after a few years of learning information, reading, that led you to the experience of India. You spent six years in India, correct? Correct. And then from India, you came over. This was your message to come to Jerusalem. And now you've been here for four. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. What a journey. What a journey. So tonight or today, depending on where you are in the world, we're talking all about this idea of manifesting and meditation. And I'm curious if you could talk to us a little bit about that pivotal moment when you experienced grief, when you found out your friend was no longer here on earth and you made that first shift because you mentioned something about materialism and distractions and then really having that pivotal shift in the beginning. What was that about? What was that like for you? What was going on in your mind? And how did it all unfold? So, I mean, it was a process like any other process. The moment of clarity was like the lightning bolt, right? You know, the Jewish sage, the Rambam that teaches that life is like a stormy path, right? Like a dark, dark forest. And in a flash, you receive a bolt of lightning that clears your way, right? And then it gets back to darkness again. And it's our job to work towards accessing that moment of clarity as often as possible and to keep that moment of clarity consistent. I love that. I love that. So there's like this darkness, confusion, and the goal is to focus on the clarity, the light, the moment of such a beautiful metaphor. Yeah. It's that moment like Akiva Tatz talks about in his book, Living Inspired, that we have this moment of inspiration. I'm sure we've all in some way, shape or form experienced that initial spark of inspiration. We have an idea, we have insight, we get inspired to take action. And then what happens is intentionally source, God, universe, your higher power, whatever you want to call it, takes that inspiration away because in order for you to own the journey, you have to work for it. So there's a flash of inspiration, like kind of like the lightning bolt goes off. We have a memory of it. We know what it is. It's there. But then you're saying there's more to it. There's this conscious work. Correct. So that was my 20 year old losing Dawn experience, right? I knew Mm. in that moment that there was a flash of clarity. And I also, I think I was gifted with the, I guess the word would be resilience to take action You know, I now know years later that when I have a moment of inspiration, I give myself up to five minutes to act on it. Because if I have an idea, whether it's like business related, family, whatever it is, that moment that an idea pops into my head, I give myself five minutes to take action. Otherwise, we either forget about it, we forget or we don't do anything about it. And so for me, that moment of clarity, when I was 20, the download I got was all the things that you've been chasing up till now is not real happiness, right? It's temporary moments. Yes, there is a high that comes as a result of shopping, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Dopamine. Exactly. So I was chasing the high, but I was so determined to really live and understand why am I here? That was the real question that struck me. That was the lightning bolt for me is like, okay, I know I'm not here to keep shopping. I know I'm not here to keep partying. I know I'm not here to keep like whatever I was doing. Yeah. I'm here to make something of myself. There has to be a reason. And I didn't know what the reason was initially. I had no idea, but that was the question. My driving question was, what is the meaning that I want to make out of my life? Why am I here? 
It's so huge. It's such a pivotal moment. Such an important question. And so, you know, I love how you said that you had the question, you had the inspiration, you didn't necessarily have the answer. You didn't know right away why you're here. You didn't know what you were being called to do. And yet you took action. Right. I think because for me, it was the intensity of that experience because I felt it in my body, right? Like I think whether we're conscious of it or not, our bodies serve as a GPS system. And sometimes we have to really be shaken in order to take action. And it could be for good or for bad. I've done these huge motivational seminars where when you're with this collective consciousness or big group of people and you're all spiritually motivated, spiritually high together, there's this ripple effect where you feel like you have to take intense action, right? Towards the good, for good. Now, this experience when I was 20, yes, it was a dark experience. It was a painful experience. But because it shook me in my body to my core, I felt like I had no choice. I was given no choice. When I feel like I'm given no choice, I honestly feel like I'm guided by something bigger than me. Absolutely. I absolutely hear that. Being guided and really listening, tuning into those messages. Let's talk a little bit about those first steps you took into meditation. What was it that you were learning and... How did you start practicing and experiencing your life differently because of those practices? So I would say my first experience with real meditation, with getting quiet, with going in, was like peeling the first layer of the onion, right? This is years later. I'm still peeling layers constantly. But that initial, you asked about my first time meditating. Mm -hmm. I just remember being like, oh my gosh, like, hello, me mirror. Like it was like me putting a mirror in front of myself and there was nowhere to go. There's nowhere to run. There's nowhere to hide. All I could do was be confronted. They had us wear blindfolds for hours and we couldn't move, you know? So it's not like I had a choice, you know? I mean, I guess I could have gotten up and left. Tell us a little more about this. You're in an ashram Uh and I mean, this is all new to me. You're in an ashram and part of the activity is being blindfolded? Yeah. They want to eliminate all external distractions. That's the goal. That's the idea, right? Because they know that when you start to confront these painful places, it's not always painful. You know what I mean? Thank God now when I meditate, there's a lot of bliss that comes as a result. But I think the initial stages, because for many of us, myself included, when I first started, it can be really uncomfortable coming to terms with what's going on between these walls. Oh, I'm so with you. I'm so with you. I went kicking and screaming into meditation. <laughs> you get it. You get it. Yeah. I mean, now meditation is my go-to remedy for everything, for everything. I feel an energetic shift that I'm not comfortable with. I'm going to my meditation pillow. I'm going to my Zen den. I'm getting quiet. I'm watching and noticing what comes up. What am I meant to learn? Right? That's the question I ask. What am I meant to see? And what am I meant to do with this information? Right? And the quieter we get, the more we learn how to tap in to that inner guidance system. Right? Like meditation for me is my therapist. Okay. So I completely hear all of this. And I'm curious, From that time, so you went into an ashram and there was this practice of learning to go inside. Now, from that first experience and from that experience of feeling difficult feelings or confronting difficult, say, thoughts or internal experiences, memories, whatever was coming up in the mind, can you talk to us a little bit about like making that shift or if there's a process people go through when they first start with this? Yes, absolutely. So part of my meditation practice when I first got started was we were actually asked to, we spent eight hours writing down nonstop. We could only stop for short bathroom breaks, but eight hours nonstop writing down all of the childhood experiences that we could remember. Okay. From beginning to end. And so then we were asked to sit with a partner and speak those experiences We actually read from our notebooks, our experiences to someone outside of ourselves. And then the third process was to sit with those experiences one by one. 
Okay. And the idea here is to create recognizing experience, right? Meaning, for example, I came into this world and I saw the world like as a playground of possibility, a playground of opportunity, right? I could do anything. I could be anything. If I wanted to be a fairy, I became a fairy. If I wanted to be a princess, all I had to do was put on the dress and wave a wand. I became a princess. What ends up happening is our first painful experience, we'll call it trauma, and it could be something tiny, right? Right. Like trauma with a lowercase t, something that scares us or embarrasses us or brings shame, pain. Exactly. I love that. Trauma with a lowercase t. Exactly. And so for me, my first real painful experience was when I was seven years old and I had a crush on a boy and he came up to me and he whispered in my ear. He knew I liked him. He whispered in my ear and he said, Ayelet, I don't like you. Not even a little bit. Get that through your thick head. And I grabbed my best friend. Yeah, take that in. (laughs) I grabbed my best friend. I ran to the bathroom and I just cried and I cried and I cried. And the story, I wasn't aware that I was creating a story about myself, a belief. But the story I told myself about myself in that moment was, Ayala, you're not lovable, right? You're never going to get a guy to like you. And there was an even broader story that looked like boys can't be trusted, right? And unconsciously, again, I signed another unconscious contract with myself that said, you're never going to let a boy in. Mm. There's so much there. I like how you said this unconscious contract, how the experience that you had, you made meaning of that. And the meaning that you made was, I'm not going to be vulnerable anymore. Because if I'm vulnerable, I get rejected and then I have shame. Uh Uh-huh, exactly. And so meditation for me looks like, what are these parts of me that I'm shaming and how can I bring them from out of this basement that I've been Mm -hmm. locking them away in, right? They've been in there. I love that so much. You know, this idea that what you went through, there were these like secrets. They were like these deep, dark secrets that were locked away. And this is shining a light on them and recognizing that this is universal. Those feelings are universal. Correct. And that ultimately there's nothing to be ashamed of. There's nothing wrong. Can we say that a million times? That is so important. And I don't think we could remind ourselves enough. This line, there's nothing to be ashamed of. Like it took me years of inner work to get to a place where I can, people look at me and they're like, I bet you never get angry. I bet you never get defensive. I bet you never feel pain. I bet you're a unicorn. Right. (laughs) Well, I'd like to think about (laughs) a spirit animal. (laughs) Well, I'm flattered you see me through those eyes, but I experience all of those emotions and I experience them intensely. The difference is I've taken them out of the basement and I'm just like, I've reparented that inner child inside of myself that's looking for love, looking for validation, right? Looking to reparent that child who was rejected at seven years old by her first crush. We look for all of this external validation and recognition as a result of these inner childhood wounds. If we continue to look for external validation for these wounds, we're gonna pour all of that trauma onto our partners, onto our friends, onto our family and expect them to fill in the gaps, to fill the holes, right? So it's really a process of coming back to yourself, of reparenting yourself, of reloving even the not so pretty parts of you. When my parts flare up, when I'm feeling upset or aggressive or angry or defensive, I'm like, okay, you're experiencing this right now because you're experiencing this right now, period. I don't have to make it bigger than what it is. Yeah. I like that. It makes so much sense in terms of it's not you. It's something that you're moving through. It's a state of being. Even emotions are physiological responses that we're moving through. We're not creating them. We're not creating the emotions, the thoughts. Okay. We have a ton of questions and I'm not seeing all of them. So let's get into the role of meditation in terms of helping us figure out what. We are here on earth to do and what we are here on earth to manifest. 
because you're asking me, I'm going to tell you what I believe our role is. I see our role, and it's a very important one, to A, build a connection with your higher power, number one. Because when you build that relationship, you're never alone. You're never alone. And once you have that relationship, you start accessing your co-creative superpower. We are put on this planet to co-create our reality with source. Okay. And so manifestation is learning that your partners in this game. Okay. When you learn that your partners and you're not just like, you know, it'll happen at the right time. Yes. Things will happen at the right time, but that's a very passive approach. I'm talking about how are you meant to be an active participant in your life? And when it comes to the world of manifestation, it starts here because thoughts become things. And cognitive neuroscience is now starting to back that up, right? At first, we thought it was like a spiritual belief. Thoughts become things. It's all over. Our Jewish sages talk about it. Hindu sages talk about it. Buddhism talks about it. All the isms talk about it. But now science is backing it up, right? And it's saying that the brain is neuroplasticity, right? And so neurons that fire together, wire together. Meaning, if I'm constantly thinking negative thoughts, I'm creating a pathway, a neural pathway, and it just gets thicker and thicker and thicker every time I think a negative thought, right? Until it becomes a belief. And then those beliefs manifest into my reality. Yeah, it makes complete sense. And we look for evidence, right? Life becomes a process. Looking for evidence that those false beliefs are true. Right. And so we reaffirm it, right? When I was seven and Tommy told me he didn't like me, any boy who ever made fun of me after that experience only validated that belief. And so it took Mm. me to learn this spiritual science of, oh, I can just replace every negative belief with a positive one. And that's what meditation has helped me do. It's helped me become more aware of what I'm putting in between these two walls right? They say the average human being thinks up to 80,000 thoughts per day. Of those, that breaks down to 47 thoughts per minute, which is just under one thought per second. Okay. Now, if that's not mind-blowing enough, let's take it one step further. Okay. Of those 80,000 thoughts that we think per day, 80% for the average person, 80% is negative thinking and 90% is repetitive which means that from 80% of our day of negative thinking, we're repeating negative thoughts again and again and again. And then we wonder why things aren't manifesting for good. Why isn't my dream actualizing? It sounds to me like all of this is this process of coming into conscious awareness of what's actually going on in our brains. Now, I'll tell you from my own personal experience, a couple of years ago, when I was given the prescription to meditate from my doctor, Dr. Schiller, who's a functional medicine doctor, who's amazing. He told me to meditate for chronic pain and for depression. And I was kicking and screaming. The last thing I wanted to be alone with was my own thoughts. And I feel so blessed because I discovered the fact that our thoughts are not who we are, right? They're just thoughts and that we do not have to identify with them or right, we don't have to identify with them at all. They're just there. It was so liberating. It was so liberating and it absolutely expedited my healing and all of that. And I'm curious for anyone who hasn't yet had this experience or hasn't started after all of these years of your experiences, like in the ashram and learning and practicing meditation, do you feel like there are any concepts or ideas that could just help someone or liberate someone a little bit into being able to? notice their thoughts without experiencing that discomfort? I would say start with a baby step. It always starts for me. It started with a baby step, right? Start with the baby step and ask yourself, what is one thing, even a small thing that I would like to see shift in my life? For example, right? My baby is now one year old and for months he was not a sleeper. You know, he just did not want to sleep. And I always said to myself, I'm not a morning person. Okay. So when he would wake up at 3 a.m., 4 a.m., 5 a.m. Yeah. So obviously get up because you can't press snooze on a baby. 
<laughs> so I would get up and I just remember thinking these thoughts of like, oh my gosh, how much longer is this going to be? Is this going to be forever? I'm not a morning person. I can't do this. I give up. And I caught myself going on loop, right? Those 80% of negative thinking started for me first thing in the morning when my baby woke me up. And so I was venting to my husband one day and he said, Ayelet, you're the manifestation mentor. You know what to do, right? <laughs> Touche. I was like, okay, fine. Okay, fine. Right, right at three in the morning, honey. <laughs> right. You know, I'm still human. And so I created a reframe for myself, right? I reframed those thoughts. I took that one little tiny uncomfortable experience that was happening day after day after day. And I said, you know what? How can I find the gift in waking up in the morning. And so I started to change my thinking. And I literally would utter out loud, when I hear my baby cry at 3 a.m., I would say, thank you, God, for giving me a vivacious, active, curious, healthy baby who wants to explore the world. And I would go as far as to say, dear God, I would love to wake up with the sun and I would love to be a morning person. Okay, and that sounds very different. And feels very different. Oh, that sounds very, it's such a different vibration. Just listening to it. Such a different vibration. Absolutely. And then there's also, when it comes to manifestation is the power of visualization, which is what I teach. Okay. So you're in this stage, you notice the thoughts that I'm not a morning person thoughts and, oh, I can't do this. And the kind of like giving up and then you reframed it and you started consciously saying new things. Were you thinking new? I mean, when we talk about thinking new thoughts, like was there a process you went through? Were you looking for evidence? Were you trying to create them? Like, how did you even know what to do? I knew what to do because I knew the negativity that was coming out of my mouth every time my baby would wake up. We all know when we feel discomfort. Okay. So it's important to target the discomfort. Notice when you're feeling discomfort. I think everyone can do that. We know when we're uncomfortable. Once that discomfort is there, ask yourself, what do I prefer to feel? Mm, Okay. So everyone who's listening, it's about noticing what's uncomfortable, the discomfort you're experiencing in some aspect of your life. So for you, I yell at, it was not being at peace with what was happening with your baby and the, the clock and waking up and all of those things. That was not your ideal state. So it's noticing when you're feeling the discomfort and then what? And then choosing a better feeling thought. Okay. Choosing a better thought or feeling. So instead of feeling exhausted and victimized that I have to wake up so early, I want to feel energized and I want to feel like a morning person. Why can't I be a morning person? Who told me that I can't be a morning person, right? Exactly. Now, it's also important to understand that it's a process, right? Because a lot of times my subconscious is going to be like, okay, you're saying that you love waking up in the morning now, but for years you hated it. So my subconscious is like, you don't actually believe what your conscious mind is trying to convince you of, right? So it's also a matter of being patient with the process, right? Because what we're doing is... We want to be patient because we've created a thick neural pathway, a belief. Like this is real cognitive neuroscience, not mumbo jumbo. There's actual neurons in your brain. And when they wire together and they fire together, right, they create beliefs and they get stronger and stronger and stronger every time I say I'm not a morning person. And so to break down that pathway and create an alternative positive pathway where I actually do experience happiness, waking up in the morning, right? Might take a little bit of time. It's so important to acknowledge that patience that, you know, we might want to, oh, I'm just going to experience the opposite. I'm just going to consciously experience the opposite, but you're saying no, because the brain is literally habituated to feeling a certain thing, believing a certain thing. I heard this once explained so brilliantly. I don't remember by, it was a neuroscientist who said that having this thought, having this belief is like, walking in the snow, taking footsteps in the snow, and then you go over the same footsteps and they just get deeper and deeper and deeper Mm, until it becomes so easy. It's like, where else would I walk? This is the pathway, but you're saying, no, we're creating a new pathway. So it's like taking new footsteps and that takes time. That takes practice. That takes 
patience, which is so, so important all the time, right? I love that visual of walking in the snow. To me, that just feels like a very real experience. Yes. Yes, exactly. So the new pathway that you want to carve out is that new experience, waking up in the morning, feeling energized. What are some other, because I know you've taught thousands of people all over the world and you meet people all the time who want to manifest new experiences, new feelings, new lives. What are some common desires that you come upon in your work? Like, What do people want to experience? For a lot of people, if they want to get married, they want to manifest a husband. Mm. That's a big love connection. Really, it's connection, ultimately, right? Partnership, that's a big one. For a number of people, it's relief from anxiety. It's just inner peace, calm. That's a big one. For many people, it's financial abundance, right? They just want to be financially free. Okay, those are big ones. For people who are currently married, they want to feel understood and heard and validated and seen. I mean, there's tons, there's tons, but those are common ones. And so in this process of learning how to manifest, are there things that someone can do on their own? Like where does somebody start? Let's say wanting to manifest, let's take financial abundance because this is a group for entrepreneurs and creatives. Financial abundance. Do you feel like, first of all, do you feel like that's coming from the same place of wanting to feel connected or wanting to feel seen? Absolutely. I mean, there's this element of like, I think when we dive into creating whatever it is, a business or wealth, it is for the purpose of wanting a connection ultimately with source. I always go back to source because that is my ultimate connection. And I know that when I'm connected to source, abundance comes. And so I never focus on the abundance piece, like the financial abundance piece. I focus on connection to source. So talk us through this. Tell us about that process and the thinking and the practices and all of it. Okay. So I'll sum it up by using the words abracadabra. Okay, so abracadabra, we've all been to a magic show, I presume, right? Abracadabra, if we've ever thought about what that translates into, what does that mean? So the words abracadabra, they're actually ancient Aramaic, which is ancient Hebrew. And the words translate into, it will be created as I speak, right? Which means that speech has power. Even though it think it's invisible, right? We don't realize that every word we utter for better or worse has this ripple effect in the universe. And it starts to mirror back to us what we're speaking, which is what we manifest. Okay. So I created an acronym for the word ABRA. It will be created because that's what I do. I talk about co-creation. Okay. So ABRA, A-B-R-A. Ready? A, ask, what is it that you want? What's your intention? Get clear. If we're talking to entrepreneurs and we're talking about financial abundance, I have people all the time come to me, Ayala, can you help me manifest financial abundance? Sure. My next question is, what does financial abundance mean to you? Let's break it down. And they start to turn red in the face. They've never actually thought, what does it mean to be financially free? How much money do I have to have in the bank in order for me to feel financially abundant? If we are confused about our desire, then the intentions we're sending out into the universe will be confused intentions and that's what will be mirrored back to us. Okay, so I'd say the ask is about getting clear. What's your intention? Getting clear, putting that into the ways, right? Like putting your destination in the ways and getting a picture of it. Okay, so bringing it into reality by asking and then bringing it into reality in the mind, creating that picture. Uh And write it down. Write it down. That's an important part of the process. Not just asking in your head, but putting pen to paper. Something magical happens when you get your thoughts out of your head and onto paper. Okay, they become your manifestation becomes more tangible that way. And then the B in Abra is believe. Okay, believe in the possibility of your ask, of your intention. Because if you set an intention to make $10 million this year, but there's that little voice in the back of your head that you adopted from your parents who said, you know, little Sarah, money doesn't grow on trees. 
right? Then you're living with the cognition, with the belief that money doesn't grow on trees and your desire may not manifest that way. So I would say the belief is about reframing, well, first understanding what your beliefs are to begin with. Money doesn't grow on trees. That's a big one. Or more money, more problems. That's another one that I get from people who want to manifest financial abundance, right? Or the more money you have, the more selfish you become. Like these are all Absolutely. I think in behavior change, right? And then looking at those like early life beliefs, what were you taught early in your life? Making $10 million a year, what were you taught about that? What do you believe about people who do that? Can you see it clearly, reevaluate it? That's huge. In your line of work, right? In this meditating and in this getting clear, noticing that one little thought, that one doubt, that matters, doesn't it? it matters and it creates, right? So, well, it is beliefs, but also it's important to ask yourself, what was the relationship that I saw my parents have with money, right? Mm -hmm. If I saw my parents struggle, or if, if I saw them work really hard to make ends meet, I might have adopted a lot of their experiences, a lot of their beliefs around financial, around wealth, okay? So the belief is about breaking that pattern, that belief, and choosing a new one. So for example, my new belief around money doesn't grow on trees becomes, well, actually, if you think about it, money comes from paper and paper grows on trees. Therefore, money grows on trees. Absolutely. And where do trees come from, right? It's like everything is coming from one place. All coming from one place. And then should we move on to the R in Abra? Yep. So we have ask, getting clear. We have believing it. And really, I love what Ayala said. I love what you said about taking stock of all the thoughts and all the beliefs that are coming up and then creating that new trail, creating those new beliefs. R is receive. So important. And I have a feeling so underestimated in terms of challenging. Oh, so challenging because... Receiving is all about surrender, okay? Because, for example, if my husband wants to get me a birthday gift and I'm like, no, 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 don't waste your money, don't spend your money, what if you get me the wrong thing, you don't know what I want, you know, or even worse, if he actually gets me a gift and I'm like, I don't really like it, you know, God forbid, but like, let's imagine I'm not creating my, put like, I'm not turning myself into a vessel to receive. And what's going to happen is a ripple effect where now my husband's going to say, I'm never getting her a gift ever again. Right? right. Why risk rejection? Why risk giving you something if you have that response from wherever that response is coming? Right. Right. So to me, it sounds like a lot of people could be very challenged to receive because of their beliefs. Absolutely. This whole like metaphor that I'm using between like husband and wife, that's also our relationship with source. If mm. we close the door and we say, there's no room for you here. I'm in control. What is source going to say? Okay, you got this. I'll take myself out of the picture, but good luck. Good luck creating all by yourself. Life becomes so much heavier that way. Right? I can't begin to tell you how many personal, many and large miracles I've experienced in my life. The moment I say, I am not in control, I yell it, get out of your own way and let God in. Absolutely. It's receiving. Like, What does it mean to receive? Are we receiving the moment that we're in? Are we accustomed to receiving? And a lot of it, like you said, are we receiving that moment that we're in? For me, those words mean being in the present moment. Right? When I start future fortune telling, I get into control mode. Ooh, future fortune telling. I like this phrase, future fortune telling, trying to predict and control the future. Right. My job is to know my what and my why. That's part of the A, the ask. What is it that I want and why do I want it? Right. The how is part of the receiving. That's not our territory. Let God figure that out. Because his solution to your problems, to your desires, is so much more creative mm. than anything we can come up for for ourselves. I love that. So be open to receiving and be open to learning how from living and trusting and being open to possibilities. And get ready to receive that $10 million. 
Exactly. Meaning, you know, there's like the curse of the lottery, the person who like money falls in their lap. And because they don't know how to receive it, they don't have the inner space to be able to hold that level of abundance. They lose it. Oh yeah. I mean, there are these stories about people who, I heard a story from Tara Brock recently about a man who won the lottery and he moved into a new neighborhood and out of where he, you know, used to live, said he never felt so separate or so cut off. Like he just missed his job working in the bakery, serving, you know, donuts every morning and talking to his customers. And not that there's anything wrong with, there's nothing wrong with money. There's nothing wrong with change. There's nothing wrong with abundance, but it's what you said. It's like, he wasn't ready to receive that. He didn't have a plan. He hadn't mentally made that switch. Absolutely. I always advise that when it comes to manifestation, even though there's infinite possibility, there's a lot of subconscious patterning going on in our minds that will block us from actually believing that $100 million can fall into our laps this year, right? And so taking that leap to try to manifest more than what our subconscious wants to believe is possible is too big of a stretch. Not that it's not possible. It's possible, but not if your subconscious is like, stuck on the patterns, on the beliefs from its past. So I always advise, what's the baby step? What's your six month goal? What's your one year goal? And get honest with yourself. I love this so much. Okay. So we have asked, we have believed, we have received, and now there's one more A. I mean, they're all my favorite, but this one really is, feels juicy for me. And that is acknowledge, mm. which is all about gratitude live with an attitude of gratitude, you manifest. Because it's like a parent and a child. When does a parent want to give and give and give to their children? When their child's grateful. But when the child feels entitled and is whining and complaining and, you know, not that we don't want to give, but we really want our children to be grateful. And that's when we give more, right? This macro relationship with God is it works in the same way the more gratitude, when we realize that we're not the ones manifesting. If I say I manifested my husband, I manifested wealth, whatever it is, right? That's just ego. And then there's never true happiness in that. Real manifestation happens when we recognize the ultimate manifester. My job, get out of my own way so that he can shower me with abundance. It's so good. Acknowledge. So express that gratitude. And then it just continues. The cycle just continues. Miracles are so, so real. And there are so many of them. I'd love for everyone who's with us listening, if you want to share a miracle with us. And Ayala, I'd love to hear from you before we wrap up. Any miracles pop up for you? Anything jump out that you've seen or experienced from using this formula? Oh, absolutely. I would say my husband is a big one. I was sitting at a lunch table with a number of my girlfriends. And at this point, I was like ready to be a wife. Like I felt ready to manifest my husband. And so I uttered the words out loud. I said, this is my ask. I said, my intention, God, if it is your will, my intention is to be married by the end of May of this year. Okay. By the end of May of this year. And my girlfriends over lunch were like, you're crazy, Ayelet. Like, why are you saying? What, what were you in? Like February, March? So this was six months prior to my wedding. So it's like December. You said you want to get married in May. Yeah. Okay. So after I set this intention, I did my manifestation work. I did my visualization work, right? Which is what I teach. I practice what I teach big time. And I met my husband a month after I uttered those words. And our wedding date was on May 29th. That's just one mini one. I mean, every day I wake up and I set the intention. I say out loud, God, where would you like me to go? Who would you like me to meet? And what would you like me to learn from this interaction? And when I'm open in that way, every moment becomes miraculous. I believe it. I believe it. I love this so much. And you have so much love over here in the comments. I hope you read these later so happy everybody's here and listening and this is just amazing and everyone is listening you can experience miracles you can experience miracles i believe it i know it 
So Ayala, tell us, please, where can everyone find more of you and what are you up to? Whew, okay, so <laughs> a lot. She's up to a lot. <laughs> I am I'm leading a manifestation retreat in spot in Israel in February. And the best way to get in touch with me for now, and I'll tell you why for now, because there's a lot going on in the manifestation workshop behind the scenes. For now, I would say get on Instagram and get in touch with me on Instagram because that's where a lot of the magic happens. I share tidbits. I share manifestation inspiration. If you're not on Instagram, I do have a private WhatsApp group where I send manifestation tidbits, one tidbit almost every day. It's short between three to five minutes. And it's like an injection of inspiration on the subjects that we've learned today. I unpack them more. This is so good. So Ayala, tell us what's your handle on Instagram? The manifestation mindset. The manifestation mindset. And this is going in the comments and this will be in our show notes as well for everybody who's listening to the replay. And again, the WhatsApp group is a big one. People really have been transformed through hearing little tidbits every single day. So we'll share a link also. We'll share a link to the WhatsApp group. For those of you who have WhatsApp, use WhatsApp. We'll do, thank you so much. We'll do links to that as well. This is so good. Thank you so much for being here and thank you for listening. What was one takeaway that you heard from the show today? Can you think of somebody else who would benefit from learning that? I invite you to teach that takeaway to one person. One of the greatest ways to learn is to teach. You can message someone and share the idea or even better, send them a link to listen to this episode you're gonna go ahead and provide them with the help that they need. And you're also helping this show, helping me to reach more people with this message. So go ahead and share it with a friend. And if you wanna share this on social, you can tag me. I'm ozzy.jinkovic on Instagram. And if you tag me in your stories, I will reshare it and I will also send you a little something as a thank you. It means so much to me that you spend your time here and I want to make this show as helpful for you as possible. So I also invite you to reach out to me and let me know what you're going through. What challenges do you have? What questions do you have? All of your direct messages are confidential. I will read them all and I will respond to them all as well. So be in touch with me and wherever you are in the world, I hope that you're meeting yourself with kindness and I know that you are because you set aside this time to work on your life and on your business and that is absolutely incredible. Abundant blessings and until next time.